All right, brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles together. 1 Corinthians 14 this morning. 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 26. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Now, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were on vacation in Florida. It rained one day, so we're hanging out inside. We've got to find stuff to do inside when it's raining at the beach, you know. So we're watching TV, and just so happens a movie comes on, and we got to introduce our kids to a movie that we used to watch when we were little all the time, and our kids had never seen it. So it was our kids' very first time watching Sister Act with Whoopi Goldberg. Y'all know this one, right? So for those of you who don't, Sister Act, it's a story about a lounge singer uh, who is in a relationship with this really dangerous, sleazy guy, and she witnesses a murder. He did the murder. Right? And she runs to the police immediately. And she tells them, you've got to do something. And they say, we can. We need you to testify. But for you to testify in court, we're going to have to protect you in witness protection until that happens. Because he's going to be coming after you now. And he says, the, the, the police sergeant, he says, I'm going to hide you in the last place he would ever think to look for you. And that's a, a convent with a bunch of nuns. She's going to become a nun. She's going to act like she's a nun. And so Whoopi Goldberg goes into this convent and she tries to live life as a nun, but it's completely foreign to her. But really what the movie's about is the movie's about order and chaos. She's introducing a little chaos into their order. In fact, they call themselves an order, right? The headmistress is played by Maggie Smith and she's as rigid and disciplined as can be and like there's no smiling or fun or anything at all in the nun convent, right? But you know, Whoopi Goldberg's character, she introduces a little chaos and a little, you know, doing things differently. And some of it's bad, some of it's good. But there's also an area where she introduces order into their chaos because their choir is atrocious. It's like the worst choir you've ever heard. It is chaotic. Like they can't sing together. They can't start on time. They can't sing the right notes. Nobody knows what they're doing. So she tries to introduce a little order into their chaos. And that's the, you know, the story goes on and on. But today's text is all about order versus chaos. Order versus chaos when it comes to the worship gathering of God's people. That's what Paul's talking about. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 26, starting verse, chapter 14, verse 26. I'm going to read down to the end of the chapter, verse 40. Okay, So this is God's word through the Apostle Paul. Verse 26, he says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. And let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? 
If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, I want to give a disclaimer before we get into the nuts and bolts of today's sermon. Your ears might have perked up when we came to verses 34 and 35. All right? 34 and 35. We're not dancing around them this week. We're going to cover those next week head on. We're going to hit those next week head on. Next week's topic is women's role in the church. All right? The role of women in the church that's going to be next week, and we're going to specifically spend some time looking at verses 34 and 35. So I don't want you to see what we're going through this week and say, he's he's just dodging the controversial parts or the hard parts, right? Now, that's going to be next week, so come back next week, and we'll talk about the role of women in the church, Lord willing. But I also want you to see in this text right here how different the gathering Paul describes then seems from the worship gatherings that we're a part of today. How different they are. Did you notice that? You notice how there were tongue speakers in this gathering in Corinth that he's describing? And all sorts of people would show up with a lesson or a revelation or a hymn or a tongue. Everybody's got something that they want to say or do. People apparently prophesied. And then not only were they prophesying, but there were people weighing what was prophesied, weighing what was said trying to discern whether that person who prophesied was actually giving them a a true word from the Lord or not. And so it's clearly very different from what happens today in our worship services here. What's up with that? Why does it seem so different? Where have we gone off track if we have? Well, the, the first thing you need to know is this. In Paul's description of a worship services here, he's, he's describing a worship service at a particular congregation, and he's only describing part of it. Right? There's other places in the New Testament where Paul talks about elements of a worship service that he doesn't even mention here. For instance, he makes no mention of singing, he makes no, other than saying somebody's got a hymn. He makes no mention of the Lord's Supper. He makes no mention of preaching. He makes no mention of the public reading of Scripture. All of those are elements of the worship service that Paul himself talks about in other places in the New Testament. We've got to understand the difference between a descriptive part of Scripture and a prescriptive part of Scripture, right? Prescriptive, prescription, right? He's not prescribing what we have to do right here. He's describing what happened. And so this is not, here's everything that needs to be in a worship service right here from this one text. Now, we don't want to make the mistake of taking this one text and then laying it over top of our theology of a certain doctrine and then saying that needs to be the doctrine based on that one text. Now, we take everything that the New Testament has to say on worship, and we build our worship around that. But second, perhaps the biggest difference, the biggest reason for the difference in today's services today and then the services then, is the way God granted these gifts then versus now, the gifts of tongues and the gifts of prophecy. It's the way God granted those gifts and the difference in the way he granted them then versus now. Now, for a more full treatment of that, I'd encourage you to go back and to reference the sermon that we did last week and especially two weeks ago, the sermon on the latter half of chapter 13. Because the latter half of chapter 13 there, when, we, when I preached on that, that was a sermon all about how does God give or not give miraculous gifts of the Spirit today versus then. All right? So you can go back and you can reference those sermons. You can find those on our website or on our podcast feed. 
But today I want you to see Paul's emphasis in this text on order and peace. Order and peace. Specifically, he's talking about the use of spiritual gifts. That's what chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about. How we use our spiritual gifts in the church. And what he's saying to us today is this. When spiritual gifts are used in an orderly and peaceful manner, God is honored and the church is built up. If you only walk away with one thing from today's sermon, walk away with that. When spiritual gifts are used in the church in an orderly and peaceful manner, God is honored and the church is built up. First, God is honored when we do that. God is honored when we use our spiritual gifts, but we do so in an orderly and peaceful manner. God and His glory become the focus without distraction when we do that. Because that's what we're all about when we come here. That's what we want to have happen. When you come here for a worship service, we want our minds to be focused on the glory of God for about an hour or so. That's tough. That's a task, right? Knowing what our minds do and how, how flighty our minds are these days. But we want our minds to be focused on the glory of God while we're here. Sometimes it's because of God's Word. Sometimes it's because of one another. We're helping one another see the glory of God. We want to focus on the glory of God without distraction. Chaos and disorder would distract from the glory of God. We want to let everyone focus and kind of center in on the glory of God for this time. God is honored when we do this in an orderly and peaceful way. God's character is accurately on display to both believers and unbelievers when we use our spiritual gifts in an orderly and peaceful way. We display His character in an accurate way because God is a God of order and peace, brothers and sisters. Our God that we know from Scripture, our God who has revealed Himself to us, He has revealed Himself to us as a God of order and peace. As Paul says in verse 33, God is not a God of confusion, or you could say chaos, but a God of peace. A God of peace, a God of order, as opposed to disorder and chaos. Let's think about this God that we know, this God that we serve. Let's think about how we know that He is a God of order and peace. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. The second verse in the Bible says, The earth was formless and void. Chaos. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the of the waters. And in that chaos, God brought order. God spoke order into the chaos. Let there be light. And through his powerful words, he created a universe out of nothing and ordered it, brought order into the chaos. And ever since then, he has given all of us, human beings, the task of doing the same thing. That's what he told Adam and Eve to do. Subdue the creation. Make it an order an orderly place, out of the chaos that it is. We take the raw materials of the earth that God has given us, the raw materials of creation, and we harness them and we use them to create order out of chaos. We are made in the image of God and we are imaging forth our Creator when we do what He did, bringing order into chaos. When God created the world, He put Himself into it so that we can see God in creation. We can see in creation that He is a God of order because of the way that He made it. Think about this. God instituted patterns that we could expect and depend on. Days, months, seasons. How many of us depend so much on those patterns? And the fact that we know the patterns coming up. Our farmers 
depend on those seasons and the fact that we know the seasons are changing and that we organize our lives and our days around those things. The sun goes up, the sun comes down. The earth goes around the sun. The seasons get warmer, get colder. Things bloom, things die. God has put His order into creation. We see it and we see His glory. We worship Him for it. He's amazing. We can see clearly that He's a God of order. Think about how He instituted natural laws that we could expect and depend on. The law of gravity. We live our lives dependent on an expectation of the law of gravity staying the same. Right? We build our lives on it. We build things according to it. Right? Think about the rhythm of work and rest that He's built into creation. Even from the very beginning, He worked six days, He rested a seventh. Why? Because we need that rhythm. He needs to institute that rhythm into our lives and into the lives of other animals, into the, li- into the land. Work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. Think about the laws of motion, the laws of physics, the laws of thermodynamics. Think about science for a second. Science shows us the God of order. Now, some people will claim today that science and God are opposed to one another, that science disproves God, that science shows us there is no God. Well, brothers and sisters, that doesn't make a lick of sense when you really consider what science is. What is science? Science is the observation of the world. We make observations of the world. It's all we're doing. We're looking at the world and we're seeing patterns. We're seeing order. We're making discoveries of what is there. And if God created that world then you're going to see God in science in a million ways. If God created that world, science is going to show you the glory of God in a million different ways. Any scientist who tells us that science proves there is no God, he just went outside of science to say that. You have to go outside of science to make a claim about whether or not there is a God. Right? You can't observe that from the natural world other than making a deduction. We see all of this and it's no accident. Right? You have to go outside of science to claim there is no God. And then to do all of your science based on that prior claim that you're already committed to. Right? And so you're going to get all kinds of things wrong if God created the world. And if he did, we're going to see him in science in a million ways. He's a God of order. He's created a creation full of order for our good, for our enjoyment, and to show us who He is. And we worship Him for it. We give Him glory for it. He's given us order for our good and our enjoyment. Think about kids, raising kids. For those of us who know what this is like, kids thrive on order and routine, do they not? They thrive on it. Now you might say, I know a kid who thrives on spontaneity and chaos, right? But I'm talking about kids in general, right? They, they thrive on order and routine. Think about all the things that need to be expected and need to be regular, like meals, schedules, bedtimes. Think about the crucial importance of a consistency of rules and discipline in the home for a kid to feel safe, for a kid to feel like they understand, they know what to expect from their parents. When they're in an environment where there's no consistency and they don't know what to expect, they don't feel safe, right? We need consistency of rules and discipline. Kids thrive on this stuff. Human beings thrive on this stuff. I think about music. Ever since I was as little as I can remember, I've loved music. My parents never had to teach me to love music. I just do. It's like God put this in my heart. But music is a wonderful example of how God created us to crave form and order. 
We find beauty in it, in the order and form, how it's pleasing to our ears. Good music, good music provides opportunity for spontaneity, but within the boundaries of a certain key or a certain scale, right? There's opportunity for spontaneity, but it's all within the boundaries of a certain key, certain scale. You go outside of that key and outside of that scale, it immediately sounds unpleasant to our ears, and we cringe, and we thought, what is that? Right? We make those faces. But you stay within that scale, within that key, within that mood, and there's opportunity for spontaneity, and it sounds pleasing to our ears. One form of music, jazz, dances around that line of being inside or outside of the, the boundaries, which is why some people love it and some people hate it. But music is another way that creation itself reveals God has built in order into the creation because he himself is a God of order and peace. We praise him for it. We see it everywhere. But not only does orderly and peaceful use of spiritual gifts in the church, not only does that honor the God of order and peace, but it also builds up the church. When we use our spiritual gifts in an orderly and peaceful manner, it builds up the church. Instead of distracting one another from the glory of God, we use our spiritual gifts in an orderly way, and we help one another see and rejoice in the glory of God. Instead of distracting one another from it, we help one another see it and rejoice in it. So when I see you all singing from your hearts to the Lord together, that heightens my worship experience. When I see you doing it, it heightens my worship experience. Now, there's a way that you could sing that, that could distract me from the glory of God, right? Somebody over here, or any, anywhere in the pews, really. Somebody in the pews one Sunday comes in with their powerful American Idol-type voice, and they try to drown out everyone else, and they're doing all this kind of fancy improvisation, and everybody's paying attention to them. Well, that's going to distract me from the glory of God. But when we're all singing together, right? When we're all focusing on the glory of God, singing together from our hearts, that heightens my worship experience when I see you doing it. Using our spiritual gifts in an orderly fashion builds up the church. When we talk before or after the service, and I get the sense that you have a genuine care and concern for me, a genuine love for me, it makes me glorify God and thank Him for giving me these brothers and sisters in Christ. When I hear Bible pages flipping at the beginning of the sermon, or heads nodding, or notes being taken, right, I glorify God for it. It helps me worship as I'm preaching. Right? That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm supposed to be doing as I'm preaching. I'm supposed to be worshiping as I'm helping you worship. Right? Worship isn't just the songs. Everything we do when we come together is worship. The sermon is worship, right? We're worshiping over the Word, and I'm supposed to be helping you worship God over His Word. When Dwayne and the praise teams and and others use their gifts to help us sing the glories of Jesus, right? They're helping us see the glory of God and to focus on it and to rejoice in it rather than distracting us from it. Or when someone leads a communion meditation, and turns our minds to the cross. You see, when, when you use your spiritual gifts in the proper context, it helps us all worship better. We don't have, what we don't have is this rigid performance-based obsession with excellence, though, right? Even though we, we want to worship in such a way that doesn't distract anyone from the glory of God, we're not going to take that so far and say we've got this rigid performance-based obsession with excellence. So anytime there's a mistake in the worship service, somebody's getting yelled at afterwards, right? We're not going to go like that because we're human beings. We're a family. We know we're not perfect. You can go too far with that kind of stuff. 
There are some churches that will frown on having babies or kids in the sanctuary during worship. You will never, ever hear me saying that, right? If a baby cries out during the worship service, that is not a moment of distraction. That's an opportunity for us to thank the Lord that we have children here with us, to thank the Lord that we have another generation being raised up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There are churches out there, brothers and sisters, who are aching to have kids in their worship service, and they don't, right? We're not going to be a church that says, no, we're, we're going to limit distractions so the kids don't need to be worshiping with their families. No, it's ridiculous, right? We don't want to go too far with this obsession with excellence. We're going to have hiccups every now and then in the worship service. Sometimes our service is not going to be perfect production quality. It's because we're human beings. We're a family, right? It's going to happen like that. But just because of that, we don't then take that to the opposite extreme and then say whatever happens, happens. We're not going to do that. We're not going to come together on a Sunday morning and say, "Uh, we haven't really prepared anything. We don't know what we're doing. Whatever the Spirit does, that's cool. Whatever the Spirit leads us, that's fine. We're just going to go wherever He goes, right? We're not going to do that either, right? We're going to prepare. We're going to plan. We're going to honor the Lord and the God of order with our order, with our planning. Order and structure and planning are not quenching the Spirit. The Spirit can work just as much in our planning, in our pre-planning, and our work beforehand. He can work just as much in that as He can in the spontaneity of the moment, Right? This is a God of order. Order and structure and planning are not quenching the Spirit. They're showing off the character of God Himself. And so we need that stuff. In Acts chapter 6, when the disciples had a problem with the the people of God and the the widows, the Hellenistic widows were not getting food, well, they, they delegated that task out to men who were capable of taking care of it in an orderly fashion so that the disciples could focus then on prayer and ministry of the word. And when that happened, the church was built up. It helped. The order and the structure helped. This is why those with administration gifts are so valuable to the church. Those with administrative gifts, the -the behind-the-scenes details stuff, are so valuable to the church, right? We've got people like this in our church doing stuff every week that you never even think about, and it's crucial. We've got sound guys in the back doing audio-visual stuff every single week. It's absolutely crucial, right? And sometimes you won't even think about it, but it's every single week work behind the scenes. Our ladies in the office are taking care of details you might never think about, yet they are absolutely essential, those details. Without them, be a mess. We've got guys who are, during the worship service, making sure all the details of the security of this building is taken care of so that those of you who are sitting down worshiping the Lord don't have to worry about that, right? We've got those who oversee our finances behind the scenes where you don't have to think about them so that you don't have to think about them, so that we can focus on the glory of God. But the flip side is also true. When spiritual gifts are used in a disorderly or chaotic fashion, God is dishonored and the church is harmed. When spiritual gifts are used in a chaotic fashion, a disordered fashion, God is dishonored and the church is harmed. You see, God is dishonored when that happens because it misrepresents Him. It misrepresents Him. The way that we worship here says something about the God that we worship. And when it's chaotic, when people are speaking all over the place, when there's no organization, when everybody's doing their own thing, 
Not everybody's together with one heart and mind. It communicates something about God. It communicates something that's not true about God. It misrepresents Him. The reason we are serious about the order of our gatherings here is because we are serious about the glory of God. We're serious about the glory of God. We are not going to give off the vibe that we are nonchalant or flippant or thoughtless about approaching God. Someone once said, the sun will burn your eyes out from 93 million miles away and you want to casually stroll into the presence of its creator. We're serious about the glory of God. We are not going to be nonchalant or flippant or thoughtless because God is not nonchalant. God is not flippant. God is not thoughtless. God is not reckless in anything He does. In anything that He does. He is a God of order. Everything God does is deliberate with a perfect purpose. Controlled. Even His wrath, brothers and sisters, is a controlled, deliberate thing. He does not lose control of anything. He is a God of order. A God of peace. Now, at the same time, At the same time, this same God of order and structure is a God of of freedom, a God of joy, a God of surprise, a God of laughter, a God of love. It's the same God, right? He is all of those things. And so we don't want to give off the vibe that he's too much this way or too much that way, right? We don't want to be so serious and so rigid over here that people begin to think, We serve a God who's wagging his finger and scowling at anybody who might smile during a worship service, right? We're not giving off that vibe. But at the same time, we don't want to give off the vibe that we just come into the presence of God and it's no big deal because he doesn't really care, right? He doesn't really pay attention to details. He doesn't really care whether or not you believe actual words he put in the Bible. You know, doctrine doesn't really matter. We're not going to give off that vibe either. Both of those are misrepresentations of the God that we serve. And so the way we worship when we gather together communicates what we believe about God. What are we communicating to the world? What are we communicating to those who come into our gatherings about the God that we worship? So we want to worship in a way that accurately represents the character of God. Now, it's not just that God is dishonored, though, when spiritual gifts are used in a chaotic and disorderly fashion. It's that the church, instead of being built up, the church is harmed. The church is harmed. It creates confusion when spiritual gifts are used in a disorderly fashion, in a chaotic way. It distracts everyone from the glory of God. It creates an atmosphere of competition, of pride, and of division. And it sends the wrong message to unbelievers and visitors. You know, there, there are groups of Christians today who believe in tongue speaking and will say that when a tongue comes on you in the middle of a gathering like this, you just have to let it out. Right? There's, there's no controlling it. It's involuntary. You have to let it out. And so you'll have people all over the place just stand up and all of a sudden they've got it. And all of a sudden they've got to let it out. But that's not the picture we get from Paul here in 1 Corinthians 14. Like, no matter what you believe about tongues, even if you disagree with me on whether or not God gives tongues today, look at verse 28. Paul says, If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and God. You know what that implies? That that person who had the spiritual gift of tongues could control it, right? 
They could control whether or not they let it out at that specific time. And so they did control it. If there was nobody to interpret, they were supposed to keep silent and not speak in a tongue because it was not for the building up of the church. When it's chaos, when it's confusion, when it's everybody for themselves at the same time, it sends the wrong message. It distracts from the glory of God. Now, again, this does not mean we have to be rigid, brothers and sisters. It does not mean we have to be rigid when we gather together. This does not mean we have to do the same things the same way every time. We don't. Some of us need to hear this this morning. We don't have to do things the same way every time because we've always done them that way. That's a horrible reason to do anything, because we've always done it that way. We don't have to do things a certain way because we've always done it that way. Now, the way that we do something might be a good reason. It might be a good reason for the way we do something. It might be because that's the most economical way to do it. That's the most biblical way to do it. And if that's the case, we're not going to change for change's sake. But at the same time, we're not going to say we refuse to change because that's the way we've always done something, right? Someone points out something we're doing that's not as biblical as we could be doing. We have an obligation to change, to be more biblical, to be more in line with God's word, right? Some of us need to hear one of these two messages this morning. Some of us need to hear that it's okay to change. Some of us need to hear this morning, it's okay to do things different. Some of us this morning need to hear that there was once a time where the the hymn Amazing Grace was a newfangled song that all the old people hated, right? Some of us need to hear that. Some of us need to hear that, believe it or not, Jesus didn't preach in a suit and tie, right? Some of us need to hear that it's okay to do things differently. Some of us need to hear that Christianity is a lot older than you, right? That there are people who came before you, that there are traditions that are not bad just because they're traditions. There are some things we're not going to change. I don't care how much you want change, right? This this is never going to change. This has been the same for thousands of years. We're going to preach the same gospel from the same Bible until Jesus comes back if I have anything to do with it, right? Some things do not change. Some things should not change. So we're not going to change for change's sake, but we're also not going to be so rigid that we give off this, this vibe that God is a, a God of, of rigid order and never doing anything differently than, than he ever does. No, God's also the God who invented the joy that comes from spontaneity and surprise. That, that comes from God. He created that, right? And so it doesn't mean that we're rigid, but what it does mean is that we take time to plan things. We take time to plan things when we gather together. The order and the content of our worship services is not up for grabs. Right? Somebody comes in here today and says, uh, I'd like to do a drama presentation this morning. I'm just going to be like, no, sorry. We, we plan things. It's order here. And there's a biblical order to what we are doing. When you come to a worship service at Columbia Christian Church, you are always going to see five elements. Always. It's always going to be five, and there's never going to be not one of these five unless the Lord just does something that that we can't. So you're always going to see five elements in the worship service. Singing, the public reading of Scripture, praying, the Lord's Supper, and preaching. Why are you always going to see those five? Because God has ordained in His Word that we approach Him that way. And we're coming to him on his terms, not on our own. We don't decide how we come to God. God decides how we come to him. 
So you're always going to see those things. You're always going to see many of those things. In fact, in a lot of Protestant churches all over the country, like you go to many Protestant churches all over the place and you're like, it's always the same. There's always singing. There's always a sermon. There's always praying. God has ordained how we're to come to him. The content and the order of our services is not up for grabs. You leave it up for grabs, that can go off the rails in so many different directions. can distract people from the glory of God. Have you guys ever been to a funeral service that was open mic? They opened the mic up for anybody to speak and anybody to say anything. doesn't always happen this way. Sometimes it goes off the rails. Right? I'm serious. Sometimes somebody gets up there and everybody is, is doing one of these. Everybody's looking down. We've been in situations where this has happened, right? Giving somebody a microphone, anybody a microphone, is a dangerous thing, right? We've been in situations where it went horribly wrong. Everybody's cringing on the inside, wondering when it's going to be over. Meanwhile, the person at the mic doesn't have a, a lick of self-awareness about how uncomfortable they're making everyone else, right? That happens. It's not up for grabs. We're focused. We're trying to help everyone stay focused on the glory of God here. It's, it's tough to do that for an hour or so long, but that's what we're here for, the glory of God. Now, all of this, the use of spiritual gifts, the proper and orderly use of spiritual gifts, which shows us the order and glory of God, all of this points to Jesus, the one who, when he came, brought true order and true peace. God is a God of order and peace, and so it makes sense that when Jesus came, He was the ultimate example, the ultimate one who brought true order and true peace. Now, as he did that, you might be thinking, wait a second, John, I thought Jesus came to disrupt the order of the day, right? I thought Jesus himself said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, right? Jesus did do that. Jesus did say that. But when you pay attention to Jesus' life, what you find is he came to disrupt man-made legalistic order, that kept people from seeing God. He was disrupting the man-made legalistic orders that kept people from seeing God. And he came to destroy the false peace that everyone is right with God because God would never have enemies. God would never condemn anyone. Now Jesus came to explode that false peace. What Jesus does is he ushers in the true order and the true peace. True order. With Jesus, instead of legalistic, man-made order, we see God's good order. The order that Jesus disrupted was outward. It was a burden laid on people's backs that they couldn't bear. But he ushered in the order that gives freedom. The order that gives freedom. It's like music, right? The boundaries, you stay within the boundaries, you have freedom to play something that is pleasing to everyone's ears. Jesus ushered in the order that gives freedom. The order that says, the greatest among you will be your servants. The order that says the first will be last and the last will be first. The order that says there's something more important than sacrifice and ritual. It's a humble and contrite heart. The order that he spoke of to the woman at the well in John 4 when he said the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth, brothers and sisters, is what we've been talking about. Spirit and truth. Emotions, affection, zeal, spirit, and truth. Doctrine, details, getting it right, representing him accurately, right? We've got to have both. 
got to have both together. If you go too much one way and sacrifice the other, you start getting away from God. You start getting away from the way God wants us to represent him. Too much zeal and too much emotion, and you just sacrifice doctrine, and pretty soon you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. Pretty soon your worship is not anchored in anything, and so it becomes nothing. It becomes something that's not pleasing to God at all. You go too far the other direction. Too much, too much rigid detail. Too much insistence on being right without any emotion and any affection and any zeal. Pretty soon you get off the vibe to people that God's not happy. That God doesn't want anybody else to be happy. That unless you're, you're miserable in your discipline, God's not pleased with you. Right? We don't want that at all. This is a God of order and peace and love and joy and freedom and grace, and beauty. All of that is true of this God that we serve. With Jesus, he brought the true order. With Jesus, instead of a false peace based on our feelings, instead of a false peace with God based on, I feel like I'm a good person, I feel like God would never condemn someone like me, instead of that false peace, Jesus brought true peace based on truth. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus because we've been justified by faith in Jesus, not by works. We've been justified by faith in Him, not by our own righteousness. That's why we have peace with God. That's real peace. A peace that doesn't depend on your own righteousness, but depends on the righteousness that you have from Christ, which is outside yourself, which was gifted to you and credited to your account. That's real peace. Not fake peace, where you just try not to think about all the bad stuff. No, it's real peace. Real peace that the world cannot attack. Real peace that Satan has no claim to. That's the peace of God. Our God of order and peace sends His Son to show us His order and His peace. And ever since then, we've been seeing it in a million different ways. We look back at Jesus' life and we're studying it over and over again. And as you study the life of Jesus, you just come to peel it off like an onion and see deeper and deeper the order and the peace of the God that we worship. We're going to spend just a few moments now praying individually, responding to what the Lord just laid on our hearts. As we pray, we ask each person, this is a time of response. Respond to the Lord. What do you have to respond to God? What do you have to say to God after what He just said to you? We're going to spend a few moments in silent prayer asking each of us to do just that, to respond to the Lord. After we do that, we'll come back. We'll have a time of public response for any who need to respond in that way. So let's pray together.